0: Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Like I said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to
1: another week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Today, we're talking about relationships and parenting. My guest today is Dr. David Simonson, who helps others with their relationship and parenting complexities. Now, I'm going to read right from David's website, and he says, I am called many things honey, daddy, son, brother, counselor, or even Doc David. Like you, I fulfill many roles in my life. Some days I do them well, other days not so much. Something that I do in all my roles is be creative. Whether it's coming up with a unique way to spend time with my wife, creating a vacation to remember for my family, or helping a couple or family find new ways to communicate. Creativity and experience are important. Just reading that uh, from his website, I can already appreciate the honesty and the humanness in his technique. And I'm happy to spend a little time with Doc David today, and I give him a big welcome. David, welcome to Don't Box Me In.
2: Thanks. I, I I want to know that guy. That's not, that guy sounds great. <laughs> he,
1: he sounds pretty awesome on paper, right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's right. On paper, that's true. I agree. <laughs> thanks thanks and, for having thanks for having me today.
1: Oh no problem. Thank you for hanging out with me. I appreciate your time. So you've been at this this whole helping people out, uh, families and teens and couples for fifteen years. Uh, you know that's a big task and challenge to take on. To what what drove you that direction, or what what is it that you like about this line of work?
2: So I've actually been in a helping profession, quote unquote, helping profession for about uh, I would say 18 years. Three okay. of those years were as a police officer, actually, and that's I did it for the money, right? That's, okay. That's what people say. And so um, I, I found that I was helping the same people over and over again, but I was helping them into jail, and okay. they would get out of jail. I would they you know have another domestic abuse charge and I have to go out and arrest them and and at some point I thought man I wasn't married at the time and I mean I was young and oh yeah it's fun I'm you know driving fast and chasing people and stuff I got married and my wife and I wanted to travel so I left that field and went overseas and and worked a little bit and when we thought about coming back into real world so to speak in America um I, I still want to help people, but I don't want to do do the route of police officer, but I wanted to do something that I thought would be more effective in in relationships. And so I stumbled upon, I kind of stumbled upon the marriage and family therapy field. Um And then, you know, went to school in Seattle, got my master's degree, and then eventually got my Ph.D. in, in psychology. And um, that's where we're at today.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So, um I want to go back, probably go off topic here for just a second. Uh,
2: real no, quick. it's
1: fine. <laughs> bear, bear with me because you mentioned that you were a police officer for three years and you kind of saw this like revolving door kind of cycle. Yeah. Now now that you've had both career uh, design systems, you know, being a police officer and now being with them, uh, helping people, uh, healthcare, uh, marriage, family, and therapy, um, do you see – looking back on your time as a police officer, do you think – do you see adjustments that could be made to that would alleviate that kind of revolving door process?
2: Oh of course yeah I mean I think that again I was 23 so I was super immature I, and and now I'm 46 and have you know lots of kids and have been married 20 years so I have a lot more life experience where I can look back on that and see you know I think there's some institutional things that could change okay. um, I, I think part of the problem with you know, the the police and kind of general public is that there's this thing called the thin blue line, which I understand is a real thing because no one can truly understand except a, a, another officer what a, a cop experiences because one moment you're helping a child whose parents are drug addicts and then the next moment you are um, – you know, ha- having to face a life and death situation. So uh, there's there's no other really unique job like that. Um, I, I currently work in a in a uh, probation system where I, I see families and work with teenagers, and it's a it's a restorative justice system, which most of America operates from the retributive justice mm-hmm. system, which is like eye for an eye, mm-hmm. um, and restorative justice is, you know, you've done harm in the community, and so how can the community restore you back and make you whole again? Um, A lot of people don't like restorative justice because they think it's soft on the offender. And, you know, in America, we need to be hard on crime. Um, But in reality, uh, the restorative justice um, brings people back to be in in community with their community, all right? And it restores people. Okay. Um, and it's so it's i I think that's something I would bring into the institution of you know law enforcement is that idea that you know we're here to protect people, but there's also a place for b- restoring people back into the community
1: awesome and you know you kind of you know as a citizen in a community, you kind of waver between these two concepts I think what you bring up because you're your idealistic hope is that the system is designed to restore this person to be a, a valuable contribution to society. But I guess internally there's some sort of fear factor, like you know, just keep the deviants away from us. So you know, there's, yeah. there's a yeah, it's kind of hard to find that's, that that's, balance.
2: Yeah, that's I think that's the challenge though, because there are people that they don't want to change, and, yes. and they will take advantage of you whenever and however they can. But there are but then there are people that want to be restored back to their community because they made a one time mistake. Yes. Uh, and, and so I think it's trying to figure out who wants to be restored and who just is not going to change and is going to continue on with criminal behavior.
1: Awesome tricky line for those two uh, in that, oh, yeah. that line of, of work to work and it's truly commendable you know it's, it's so much pressure and not a place that I would want to be and uh, you know it, it just it, it's just a very difficult day to day life you know you wake up as a police officer and I, I had an interview with a, a, a police chief for while back, and, you know, you just kind of wake up every day, and you don't know if it's going to be a good day, if I'm going to come home alive, or what kind of people I'm going to come in. That's a stressful, stressful environment to be in, so, you know, I can can understand the transition out of it.
2: Well, I mean, I think if I could change something, I've said this before to other, you know, people and I've talked to, I, I would say that there should be a, the minimum age of being able to be a police officer is probably 30. Um, because they get kids, they get people that are like me, like right out of college who have no life experience. And then they just, they learn, they just learn bad. I think they just become hardened at an early age. Whereas if you were 30, you have some life experience under your belt and you're willing to let some things go that maybe a 23 year old rookie cop are not willing to let go. Okay. As my grandmother used to say.
1: You just need a little seasoning. That's what my grandmother used to say. Yeah, just need yeah. a little seasoning.
2: I mean, I, I, this is, again, we're off, maybe a little bit off topic, but the story I t- say that when I talk about police work is like my, you know, one of the first weeks I was there, I go and I bust an MIP party, right? Miners in possession, mm-hmm. miners that were out drinking. And okay. I show up and they scatter like cockroaches. And <laughs> I, go, I go off chasing a couple through a field. And I finally catch, like, two of them out of eight. Mm-hmm. And I bring them back, and all these guys that are much older than me, more experienced, they're sitting in their cars. And they what are you doing? <laughs> 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 I got these guys. <laughs> that's just a violation. Who, who really cares about that? You, you showed up and you scared them, right? And, and they went off. And so I, I, I've always remembered that because I think that's, that's the difference between a new rookie and someone who's more seasoned. So I, I think more seasoned individuals probably would be beneficial. Awesome. Awesome.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, Well, hopefully, you know, we can make some adjustments, but, you know, the system, the the design is what it is, so, you know, hopefully we can uh, get some – but let's go back to Dr. Dave here because, you know, we can probably talk about this for the rest of the hour here. Um, You know, the work that you do, relationships and uh, parenting and stuff like that, so I think I've always felt that um, building a healthy community – Building a wonderful citizens that create some sort of, some sort of value back to the community starts with relationships. You know, with you know a, a man and a woman, you know, sitting down and laying the foundation that they're going to build a family off of. Um, you know, when you coach couples that come to you, um, are there, there are certain elements or certain things that you guide them in and say these are the things we need to do right from the beginning to build a strong foundation of a relationship.
2: Yeah. So I think. Um that tends to be more premarital counseling because for me it's like I do premarital counseling, but I also do um, couples counseling where couples that have been married anywhere from five to 10 years or 20 years, even they come to me and say, Hey, these are these ruts that we're stuck in. And so for pre, pre, I mean, I definitely think there are things that my, my problem is I I love sharing my opinion. My wife doesn't like that. And so it (laughs) has gotten me, it has gotten me unfriended on Facebook um, several, several times because, I see people making poor relationship mistakes and how can I stand by and and simply let them foolishly go into that and I've learned again I have become more seasoned and and bitten my tongue and built up the scar tissue on my tongue and <laughs> but I think um, communication I mean obviously communication is something that is important and it's and, and I, I'm mean I think specific communication is you know cuz that's kind of a general, yeah, we need to communicate better. Well, what does that actually mean? Maybe it means, you know, when Susie is upset, she shuts down. Well, that's not it. Johnny needs to know that. And then mm-hmm. Johnny needs to know, okay, how do I approach Susie when she's shut down, for example? Okay. Um, and Susie needs to know that she shuts down and that shutting down is usually not a good solution to things. And so, you know, if you can start out with those kind of foundations like that in communication, for example, if you know yourself, then you're going to have a better chance of being successful if you, you know, go towards marriage and, and a, a more successful chance of not being not getting divorced potentially. Okay. Um, the one thing that people often is if you have different faiths, right? Is okay. if yes. one person's Jewish, another person is a Pentecostal, let's say. How uh-huh. are you going to raise who, which faith? is your child going to be raised with? You know, a lot of people don't take that into account prior to getting married. And then a child shows up on the scene, and then, oh, we're going to um, raise them in the Jewish, Jewish faith. Oh, no, 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 we're going to raise them in the Pentecostal faith. Oh, no, 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 right? And so yeah. then an argument starts. And then you have competing forces outside the couple of the families, who the grandpa and grandma that want to take him to the synagogue, or the grandpa and yes. grandma that want to take him to church on Sunday, you know, so... I think that's something that I definitely have conversations with um, couples about prior to making long-term commitments.
1: Okay. Now, you mentioned, you know, like the the interfaith possibility and you know the, the communication um, thing but before all of that you know you, you mentioned uh, that you've witnessed uh, you know some people make some poor relationship mistakes and you know we all have and you know you look at people are like why are the two of you guys together you're so toxic or whatever um, <laughs> if I if I promise not to you know unfriend you on Facebook can you give some examples of these poor relationship mistakes that you've observed uh, over the years
2: um, yeah so there's this one uh, young woman that I've actually been working with over the last six months and she was 20 she's 24 24 26 and there's this guy that she liked and they were kind of dating on and off and then she and, and she got pregnant and then she finds out that he has a full-time girlfriend oh wow and and um, he gave her an STD. Oh wow! And then she went off and had an abortion, okay. um, which was her, which was really hard for her because she, you know because the guy said I'm not going to be with you. Uh-huh. So, um, so so you think that okay? Let's so my suggestion to her was you know take some time and before you get back into dating and you know six months let's take six months six months and just kind of figure out. What you did wrong, where you should do things differently, and um, so she did that. And now, come come to find out, you know, as I met with her probably four weeks ago, um, this guy started talking to her again, and <laughs> she's she's considering she's been kind of back into an on and off relationship with him again. And and my and she's paying me to to give my opinion, so I can easily give it to her. Yes. <laughs> and her suggestions, but it seems like that where there's pathology in all our lives that yes. um lead us to make bad choices so that's that's a bad uh, in my opinion, that's a bad choice, but her emotion is is taking over. I mean her head tells her, yes, this is a bad choice, but then the emotion overrides the logic, okay. and that's where I think a lot most people get in trouble is when your emotion overrides. The, the smart thing that your brain is telling you.
1: Yeah. You know, um, and, and I think, uh, you know, that's the, that's the difficult part that people really want to take heed to when it comes to relationships is because you're so led with your heart. You know, you're so, I just feel this way and this person makes me feel wonderful, but unfortunately yeah. or as... as it doesn't sound like but there's a there's almost a business element to to you know relation okay we need to sit down we need to negotiate the contract we need to talk about well how do you feel about this and how do you okay what are you yeah. going to do with this you know but people don't want to go through that part they just want to i feel this way and and move on sure. with that and that gets them into a lot of trouble uh dave am um, looking at the time here we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back right after this
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Like they said, I'm your host, Lana Reed, and today I'm spending some time with Dr. David Simonson, who's got a wonderful book out called uh, When Parenting Backfires, and uh, we're going to talk about that uh, in a second. But we're going to talk about the other stuff that he does with uh, helps people with, and that's relationships. Uh, we were discussing a little bit of that before commercial break. Um, you know, you, you gave the example of the uh, young lady. You know, kind of went back to the toxic relationship, and then. Um, You know, you yourself, you've been married for 20 years. So you've got a lot of, you know, working knowledge here, plus the work that you've done with all the couples that you've encountered. Um, In all of this time, in all of your experiences, do you think men and women go into relationships uh, expecting different things?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I (laughs) I think, uh, yeah, that's a given. I I think uh, the the phrase, there's a a phrase that I've heard often is that men have, Sex. Men say they're in love to get sex. Women have sex to get love. Yes. I mean, and, and I think that that's that's as toxic as it gets. Right? And mm-hmm. I think that, and I'm stereotyping here, obviously, but I think the the female of the species tends to be more emotionally attached to uh, like the sex activity, and then men tend to be more less emotionally attached to sex. And so I think that that causes a lot of problems when. You know, a couple meets on a date, and then they the second or first date they're they're having a sexual interaction of some sort. And I think it's much more powerful for for the female of you know than it is for the male. Um, and, and again, that's stereotypical, but I, I think in my experience that if that is typically held true. Okay. And so, <clears throat> like with this young lady, my suggestion to her is, you know, when you're in a relationship, and this is a suggestion I give to. Most uh, premarital, premarital couples, um, or not even premarital, just couples in general, to, to really know if this person is, wants to be with you, don't have sex with them for like three months. Okay. And then and then see what happens. And if they lose interest or if they, you know, go to someone else, then it's a good chance that you, you know, that that was the main source of, um, that was the main thing that brought you guys together, which it shouldn't be. I mean, that should be part of what brings you together, but that shouldn't be the main thing that brings you together.
1: So I'm, I'm assuming your advice doesn't go over well with the men too much then.
2: Well, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I tend to come from a kind of a traditional point of view where I don't believe people should shack up before they're yes. married. Um, I, I think that there should be abstinence before you're married because I think okay. that the sexual act is like really powerful in a relationship and it can really bond you to somebody. And so if you're out indiscriminately having – sexual intercourse with, with people it's like you're you're bonding with all these people and it's it's it does damage to your emotions, mm-hmm. I, I believe and yeah. and i think that you know people don't put a lot of thought into that they're just into it more of it, like we were talking about earlier about the feelings mm-hmm. of things rather than you know, the logic and what your brain's telling you. And
1: what the consequences are. You know, and I, I tell people, sex is, is an exchange of energy and time. And if you can't, you, you can't get it back once you give it to that person. And do you really want to expend energy on this person? Do you want to spend the time on this person? And, you know, three months down the line, six months down the line, say, I wasted all of yeah. this. You know, so you know, like you know, Doctor Dave says, you know, spend some time getting to know who that individual is first before you bring that element into the relationship, so you can still kind of think clearly because it, it, it does kind of fog things a little bit.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I definitely think it fogs it fogs things. And I think the worst advice I, I and people you see it in movies all the time, follow your heart. And I think mm-hmm. okay, there's some things that maybe you could follow your heart with, but um, relationships are usually not a place that you should follow your heart you should like have equal parts heart and equal part brain yeah, um, when, yeah. when you're in a relationship with somebody
1: you know i th- in, in, going back to before commercial you know there's the majority of us are walking around you know saying you know if, if we love each other love will be enough and you know that love will be enough and <laughs> love will be enough and and you're like uh, babe i'm sorry the reality is love is not always enough you know you you have That's to right. add all these other elements in you know like you said before uh Break with the the example of the interfaith um, couple. You know, it's going to take more. It's going to take much more than love to get through. You know, that kind of dilemma or whatever. So, you know, like I said, it it, it is love, sort of
2: love. Love is enough for about three to five years, <laughs> and then for some reason, I mean, studies will show you that about three to five years. That's when people start thinking, you know, what I'm, I I we need to go to counseling. This isn't working out so well. <laughs> And so I mean my my goal is hey let's get this stuff figured out prior to 3 to 5 years mm-hmm. because then you can save a lot of money yeah and, and time and and heartache yeah
1: now you know couple counseling is something that we hear a lot about you know in a marriage uh, and we even hear about couple counseling uh, when it comes to premarital counseling, when when the couple have decided they're going to get married and, wait a minute, let's sit down and, you know, do this little premarital class before uh, we do this. Uh, do you recommend couple counseling to people beyond that? You know, like, well, I guess so because you have your young lady there that um, uh, has got your services. But um, I- I'm assuming yeah. that
2: her- – go ahead, dear. All right. I, I'm sorry. I, I think that, you know, when I first got into this field, I, it, I, it's, it's just like the police conversation. It's like, mm. I, I've become more seasoned and I've, I've thought, okay, I it was standard, you know, premarital and, and marriage counseling. But then people would come to me and say, you know what, we're dating and yes. we would like to do some counseling. And at first, when I heard that, I was thinking, why do you want to do counseling? You're just dating. Yeah. It's, there's no point to it. But I've realized as I've, you know, matured more in my practice that people need help in relationships, whether you're gay, straight, whatever, mm-hmm. people need help in relationships. And I've been given this opportunity to help people in their relationships. And so I, I don't, I don't question usually, you know, okay. whether you're married, unmarried, or whether you've been dating for a few weeks. Uh, I don't like, I try to talk people out if they've been dating for two weeks and they want to come and do marriage, you know, couples counseling. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's a wise investment of people's money, and so I usually w- will discourage people uh, from that. But, you know, if you've been dating for a year or two and, and you're wanting couples counseling, then, yeah, I'll, I'll help you, and, you know, we'll ask the questions, why aren't you married? And maybe there's an yes. the issue that okay. come up of why we're not married, and so then we'll talk about that issue potentially.
1: Okay. Now, you know, you being a male in this this field, this line of work is very interesting because what I have found that when it comes to relationships, counseling and stuff like that, uh, men are very reluctant resistant to go for counseling um, why Why is that and how do you navigate around that?
2: Well, my, again, yeah my it's, it is interesting in my field a lot of the, mass, and I don't know why this is, but a lot of the masters level uh, people are female and mm-hmm. then the PhD level people, a lot of them are male, so I don't know has to do with education. I I don't know what that has to do with, um, but I think men typically don't like to go to counseling because they don't like to be told what to do. Um, I mean, honestly, and I think, I mean, I've been I've been to counseling before. Part of part of going through my PhD or my master's program was was I had to go to counseling. Uh, for me, I viewed it as a hoop that I had to jump through, okay. and uh, um, it wasn't. I don't know, it's just not a comfortable place because you have someone that is kind of looking at you and seeing your flaws, and for me it's good to have experienced that because then I can identify with men that come into my office, or you know, I I actually don't have an office, I go in-home, and I meet in-home Okay. And and, and so I think men don't like it because they're having to be vulnerable. And again, that's stereotyping, but it's a true, it's true stereotype men typically don't like to be vulnerable and so wh- how more vulnerable can you get them going in and talking about your marital difficulties mm-hmm. that you should be you know and, and a lot of it may depend on how they were raised as, as a young man and you know what son you need to figure out your own problems don't rely on other people so i've had some men who are totally fine with counseling and others who say they don't believe in it and mm-hmm. I, I always think that phrase is funny because you don't believe in it. Well, it actually exists. So you should <laughs> use a different, you should use a different phrase that I don't believe in. It's like, I don't believe in Santa Claus, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, true. Okay.
2: So I think a lot of it has to do with vulnerability and, um, it's why, it's why men won't ask for directions. <laughs> we, we, we want to figure, we want to figure it out on our own. Dang it. And,
1: Four hours later, we're driving in a circle. Woman, don't say anything. Right.
2: Okay, yes, exactly. all right. And the, and the same thing is in a marriage. I, I need to figure this out on my own. I don't I don't need your help. And I mean, I tell people, you know, if you could have figured it out on your own, you would have by now. And <laughs> so there's so many there's so many other professions that you call. Like if, if your plumbing needs to be fixed, you're going to call a plumber. Yes. If your car needs to be fixed, you're going to take your car to a mechanic. Um. And so if your marriage needs some help, then you go to a therapist or a counselor. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, just curious. I don't know if you have any feedback on this or not. Have you found in your work over the years that men are more receptive to you being a
2: male or or a female? Um, I think women want me to – women want to bring husbands to me because they think their husbands will be more comfortable meeting with a guy. Okay. Okay. That that may or may not be true, and it may depend kind of on the topic. Because I think a lot of times, often men will come and want to talk about pornography issues. Okay. So they may feel more comfortable talking to a guy than they would uh, a female about you know stuff like that. Whereas a woman who's needing to talk about you know maybe a baby that she lost. Or Mm -hmm. some intimacy issues or sexual abuse may feel more comfortable talking to a female than a male. Okay.
1: Understood. Okay. Good points there. Okay, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. Hang in there with me, Dr. David. We'll be right back right after this.
0: Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed.
1: Well, welcome back. Uh, I'm Lana Reed, and today I'm hanging out with Dr. David Simonson, who has a book out called When Parenting Backfires. Now, Dr. David, I want to ask one more question about the relationship work that you do, and then I want to make sure I get a nice big chunk of time in on the parenting uh, part. But um, I was I was scrolling through your you know YouTube videos because I like to look on my guest websites and be all nosy and poke around. Uh, but I, I was clicking through your YouTube videos, and one of them that you have is is like, the question that women all, you know, ask when we're sitting around the coffee table and cackling with each other is, why men <laughs> cheat. So, um, if you can elaborate or, or share some some enlightenment with uh, my audience as to well, what are some of the reasons that women ch- uh, that men cheat. Uh,
2: well, I think I think it's the, the reasons men cheat is much different than the than the reasons women cheat typically. <laughs> um, the, 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 let me start with the the, the the reason women cheat typically is security, right? That could be, usually it's emotional security. So they're in a marriage for, you know, 10 or 15 years. Their husband's working all day, comes home, is tired, doesn't really pay attention to them. And so they go out and they meet someone at their work or they meet someone at their kid's school. They start up a conversation and then, oh, wow, look at this relationship I'm having with this person. This is what it's supposed to be like. Oh, this makes me feel good. And then that leads to an affair of some sort, right? Mm -hmm. So men is very, men is very, are very different in, in why they cheat. Some men just want to have sex, right? Okay. They have a wife that isn't really interested in sexual activity, and so they meet a, a female co-worker, usually is, is where it happens, and then they just, they're not committed to them, like they don't love them, but it's the person that they can have sex with, right? So that, okay. there, there's that piece. And that, has, that relates back directly to um, something lacking in their relationship with their wife. There's a lack of respect. Men men will cheat because they don't feel respected um, by their wife, usually. And, and respect is simply a, simple, a wife simply saying to their husband, hey, I appreciate you. I like these things that you do for me or for our family. Okay. Um, and, I, and, and when I say this, I'm in no way blaming the woman because the woman and the man that has the affair is responsible for what they do. Okay. There, there is a choice. It's not like they're being forced to. To do this thing, okay. um, and, and I often say that the reason. So there's three ways to get your man not to cheat: its to use food, sex, and respect. <laughs> if you feed your man, if you feed your man good food, if you have sex with him, and you show res- and you give him respect, he is not going to cheat on you unless he has some type of mental health issue or addiction <laughs> issue. Okay, I guarantee. I guarantee that because <laughs> because I think that. There's, those three things are the key to understanding what a man needs in a relationship and what a man needs to be happy in a relationship.
1: Okay. So there we go, ladies. Food, sex, and respect. And we will have no problems anymore.
2: <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, I, with, the caveat, with the caveat, unless there's a mental health issue or there's, unless there's an addiction issue.
1: <laughs> it's like, disclaimer alert, disclaimer
2: Yes, it has to be a disclaimer that.
1: Okay. Okay. All right, Doctor David. Let's move on to uh, the parenting thing because I want to make sure I got a lot of time to cover that. I think uh, I was reading some of the information on your book, and I think it's uh, interesting. There, the book that you have out is uh, "When Parenting Backfires," and um, there's a lot of parenting books out there, um, but yours is a little different. It's a little unique. What what is what is different about the advice, the parenting advice style that you you, you put out there into this universe? So a
2: lot of parents. A lot of parenting books they give you formulas. If you do this, then this will happen. If there's, I mean, and I don't mind naming, you know, love and logic is a big one where, oh well, if you just give natural consequences, then this will happen. If you just give logical consequences, this will happen, and that may work for some kids, but it's it's a, it's based on a formula, and so I, oftentimes it's like, what if because we live in a real world where there's thousands of different situations that happen every day um and things that happen in the moment that you don't have time to think about, um, the formula may not work, or you may not be able to do, to do the formula in the moment at at, okay. time, at time. And so the, the book that um, my co-author and I came up with was, it deals with things that have happened in a parent's life that make them parent a certain way in mm. the present, right? And so usually what, and, and I'm going to give you a little background of, why things backfire. It could be parenting backfires. The next book that we're thinking about doing is when um, marriage backfires. And so a lot of times what happens when we are children, we experience some type of emotional trauma. Now, okay. that's not – when I say trauma, a lot of times I think people think there's some horrific event, and it's not a horrific event. It can be something as you grew up in a home that was very legalistic. Okay. okay? And so you were never able to go hang out with friends, let's say, as an example. And that affected you as a teenager because you wanted to be social and you weren't allowed. And so then maybe sometimes you would sneak out or you got caught or you were grounded when you would sneak out. And there was no explanation. It was just very legalistic. And so that was, that's a trauma. And so what happens when you're a child and there's an emotional trauma Usually, people take that into adulthood and they try to fix it in their present relationships. Okay. And so, for example, and this is just one example. You grew up in a, I grew up in a house that was fairly legalistic, okay. um, and so as a result, I I turned passive aggressive. Right. So, okay. to my parents' face, I would say, "Yes, okay, I understand. I won't do this thing, Mom and Dad." When their back would turn. I would try to do that thing, whatever it was. <laughs> Right? And, and so, uh-huh. and that, create, that creates a passive aggressiveness. Now, you take that into parenting. Well, you just take that into general life. What it creates is somebody that will lie to, and, and I lie to people's face, say, I won't do that thing. Mm-hmm. But then I do that thing when they're not looking. And gotcha. it, it was horrible in my, in my marital relationship because it created this mistrust. Now, what I've been able to do since I've been married for so long, and I, I know this about myself, is um, I, I use my passive aggressiveness to my advantage now rather than and, – and I do it on Facebook mostly or social media posts. <laughs> and, 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 and it's it's, like a, it's a guilty pleasure where I'll troll people, right? So <laughs> someone says – and I'm, maybe I'm giving too much information, but someone just says some outrageous thing on, on Facebook that I just roll my eyes at. And so I just very kindly and and, in a, in a non-confrontive way say, Oh, I don't really agree with that. Uh And I may or may not agree with it, Uh, but it becomes more of sport for me because then they're just like, they just like, you're stupid, blah, 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 (laughs) blah, blah. And you know, so then, so, so, so that's what I do with my passive aggressiveness. I know it about myself. I, um, Deal with it. I've learned to be direct in how I approach people and not be passive aggressive. I've become more confident, and that's just that's an example of how uh, childhood trauma can affect you as an adult. Um, and so, what happens when you have a ch- emotional trauma is that then you get children of your own, and that's when your parenting backfires because either your trauma hasn't been addressed and you're trying to address it when you parent your children, and so that it's not a formula. It's just what we've written this book about is, is giving information to the parents, and we've taken twelve of the kind of the typical things that parents do, and pointed out how they how these are backfire events and ways to do them differently.
1: Okay. Now they're thinking, you know-
2: they're thinking errors, basically.
1: Thinking and, and I was gonna I was gonna come to because I saw that on the uh the book the little blurb on the book thinking errors you talk about that in the book uh, what define that for me so I, I understand clearly thinking errors are
2: so thinking errors again it deals with that emotional trauma so this way that you grew up this emotional trauma that happened you take that into your uh, adult life and um, you parent based on this thinking error so. One of the thinking errors is, um, I will respect my child when my child respects me. So, so basically, what you're teaching your child is that the only time you should respect people is when they respect you. Um, and in and, and my world, that's not how it operates. Because if I go to my boss and I don't respect him until he respects me, I probably won't have a job for very long. Yes. And now, that may, there may have been some emotional trauma in that parent's life that caused them to realize respect is like this big thing and they're not going to give it. I mean, they, maybe they didn't get respected as a child, and so now they're in a place where I'm not going to respect my kid until they respect me, mm-hmm. right? So, so it's a thinking error because I think it does, that doesn't work in real life. Okay. In real life, when you go up to a stranger are you going to be disrespectful to them until they are respectful to you? It just doesn't work. No. no. And so I think that's an example of a thinking error that, that parents often do.
1: Okay. So listening to you you know, talk and, and we were talking about thinking errors and then you were talking about the background that a potential parent comes into based on you know uh, their upbringing, uh, when you get two people that come together to be a parent, you know, you, Mother and the father I'm assuming that they're both coming to the table with their own thinking errors, their own personal childhood experiences that now they have this wonderful bundle of joy that they're going to try to to raise together with their own separate yeah. dynamics how do you how do you as two adults kind of combine all of this gunk so that you can kind of mold this this little being into a, a nice little person
2: right so that's why there's job security for me because it's something that's always happening, right? People are always having kids, and people are always being hurt as kids, and so they're just bringing that into their adult life. You know, it, it, the bummer part about it is that you usually don't know you have a parenting thinking error until you have a kid mm. um, because that's just kind of an untapped area in your life until you have a child, and so, so then you get a child, and then you have a husband or wife, um, and you may not never have seen this part of them before, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so then that's where, oh, whoa, what's going on here? And that's where if you try to fix it yourself, you can maybe try to, you can maybe fix it yourself, but usually you need help of someone like me that can kind of be an outside observer and say, oh, you know, when you do this thing with your kid, they don't, listen to you when you do that and you probably should change it up somehow. Um, One big thing, one thinking error that parents often do, and I've done it myself um, in the past, is simply because I said so. Right? So a kid says, why do I need to do this thing? Well, because I said so. That's (laughs) the worst answer a parent can give. Um, Because it's just, kids don't respect that. My dad used to say, do
1: as I say, not as I do. That's what my dad used to say. Yeah, I I
2: don't want to disrespect your dad, but... It I, doesn't make no sense. I know, I know, I know. So I think because I said so, it becomes kind of lazy, lazy yeah. parenting. And, yeah. and you don't want to have to engage in a conversation with your child. Now, your child is going to ask you lots of why questions. And so you let him know, hey, I, I'm willing to answer this and give you one answer and then we're going to move on from that. And you have to be decisive about it. I've never run into a kid. I don't know if you have any kids, Lana, no. but I've, ne- 21. I've never into. 21. In- 21. Okay. Did your kid ever ask you why? Oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Did you ever give the best explanation and then your kid said, oh, okay. Thanks, Mom. That makes sense. Never. Right. Right. <laughs> never.
1: <That is> <laughs> it was always follow up after that. <laughs>
2: It's all, yeah, it's like to tell you why your why is stupid. Or, you know. <laughs> so it's a universal thing that kids ask why, and it's a pretty much universal thing that kids don't all of a sudden come to your side of the table after your reasonable explanation of, <laughs> of the why. And so you just have to understand that's how, that's how kids operate. And if you get irritated with them because they just keep asking why questions, then it's not your kids' fault. I think it's on you as the parent. And so because I said so is never a good. It's a, it's a thinking error, and usually it stems from a kid that grew up in a home where they had parents that were controlling, and they mm-hmm. weren't allowed a lot of flexibility, and so then they grow up and they're in control now, and they can tell the little kids what what to do, and they have to listen to mom and dad. And because I said so, and it's it's a thinking error. It doesn't work. Okay.
1: We're going to take our last commercial break of the day, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about the book When Parenting Backfires with Dr. David. Stay with me.
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. I am Lana Reed. Today I am hanging out with Dr. David Simonson, who has a book out uh, called When Parenting Backfires. Uh, before commercial break, we were talking about thinking errors. Um, and I just want to bring in one more thing you, you mentioned about my daughter asking me why, 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 you know, when she was little. And me and my own parenting style, the way that I found to kind of get her out my hair, uh, I used to tell, I don't know, babe. Did you look it up? And I would teach her, you know, okay, we're going to go to, you know, uh, the computer and, you know, start researching, you know, so that would kind of get me out of the constant, perpetual, why? I don't know, babe. Did you look it up? Maybe you can find the answer yourself. So, you know, now at 21, she's very proactive about doing her research, you know, oh, I have a question in my mind, doing, doing the research. But, you know, um, if you're, you're not creative in your thinking, like we mentioned at the very beginning, um, sometimes you don't know how to maneuver through these natural things that that children do, and it is just natural. Um, but if we're not equipped for the job as parents, we don't make the right, uh, we don't navigate through this whole parenting thing pr- uh, properly. And I've, I've always been confused as why well. you have to take a class, how to learn how to drive a car, you have to take a class, learn how to be, you know, MFT and all that. But there's no like anybody can become a parent and you have the most valuable yeah. thing that's in your charge but there's no you just hey just here wing it do the best you can with it
2: <laughs> and right and there's and it's almost like if you do take a parenting class there's some type of shame in it yes yes that and or the people that are forced to take parenting classes are people that have been contacted by child protective services yes. and dshs and and yeah. yeah i mean i i think i, I agree there should be a there should be mandatory parenting classes. At <laughs> yeah, time. because
1: you're, you're you're responsible for the total molding and guidance of a, a individual. You know, a citizen in society. And I think you know, with that comes great responsibility. So why not give us the proper preparation for it? Um, but back right. to the thinking errors um, and uh, when they backfire. So how do you how do you correct them so that you can be an effective parent?
2: So well, I think I you said, get, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's insight, right? Okay. And so I think that's the point of the book. The point of the book is, you know, if you are a parent and, are you, and you're and you doing one of these 12, 13 thinking errors, then y- you need to stop doing it because it's just going to perpetuate the cycle, right? If you do this, if you're teaching your kid that, um, that you, the only way you're going to get respect is if you respect me, they're going to teach that to their kid. Mm-hmm. unless they have insight from somebody that says, you know what, that's not the way the world works. Maybe, yes. that, maybe that worked when you were a child and it hurt you and affected you emotionally. And you're doing that same thing to your kid without really realizing it. And that's why, you know, a third party come in, whether it's a therapist, a counselor or a respected family member that can, but you know what, this is what you're doing when you interact with your kid this way. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, it's not a great thing. And so, Most of the time it's insight that I think um, is helpful for a person to realize, okay, yeah, there's this thinking error. And then there's practice that goes into it, right? So then this thinking error is is second nature to most people. And so when you get shown that this thing that's second nature is not a good thing, then you need to break that habit. I think it takes eight weeks to form a new habit. And so that's where a therapist and a weekly meeting with a therapist and maybe some... Resources, like a I, I often use whiteboards with families as a way to break that cycle or, you know, someone reminding, oh, mom or dad, this thing's happening. We need to stop it so we can do something new. Okay. Um, it's like learning new dance moves, right? You don't immediately. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what I often view relationships as. I view them as a dance. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to do new dance moves with your dance partner, which could be Johnny or Susie and your mom Mm -hmm. or dad, Johnny and Susie aren't going to know what your new dance moves are. And so that's where everyone needs to be in on the conversation. Okay.
1: Awesome. Okay. Cool. Um, I'm thinking about this whole dynamic and listening to you talk about, you know, how you grew up and I'm thinking about how I grew up. You know, I told you about my dad, do as I say, not as I do type of thing. I'm wondering... Today's times that we're in, you know, you have your social media, your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, kids have cell phones these days. They're watching reality TV. Uh, most likely both parents are out the home having to work. Um, in the work that you do, do you find it more challenging for people to raise children today versus when, when me and you were coming up?
2: Uh, I think there's more things to to distract parents today than there probably were back in the day. You know, I'm sure you're aware of the whole gorilla that got shot. And yes, uh-huh. The the, kid, the four-year-old that was in in the cage. Cincinnati, you Cleveland. You know, I, I think that no one knows what no one knows exactly what the mom was doing. Mm-hmm. That 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 while the kid was out of sight. Now my fear is that the mom was on phone Mm -hmm. and there is some type of social media thing post happening. That's my fear. I'm hoping that's not what comes out because I think with social media, it's just, it's just a distraction for kids and for parents. I've been in restaurants where I'm with my, so I have seven kids, right? So I'm, I'm with my, at the time it was six kids and I look over at a table and there's a mom and dad uh, and two sons and they're all on electronic devices at the table not interacting with one another. Mm. And and I think that's a big difference from when we grew up, right? There were no cell phones. You weren't in contact, at least I wasn't in contact with my parents for 8 to 10 hours of the day when I was gone at school. And now it's like parents are horrified if they can't immediately contact their child within 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and so I, so I think that's been a de- I, I honestly think that's been a detriment to relationships where there's this um, independence on social media um, okay. and, and things that distract parents from doing what they should be doing with, with their kids.
1: Yes, you know, I, I see that quite often when I go out, you know, restaurants or whatever, you know, it's like everybody's head downs and, you know, they're like updating their status, I'm here, whatever, but you're supposed to be enjoying the moment with the person that you're in and that could be your children, that could be your your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife that you're with and if you're not creating these human bonds with each other, um, I think it kind of distorts the whole connection that we're having with each other.
2: Yeah, I would just... In, uh, I, last week I was just in Disneyland with my family, and it's so interesting because I, rem- I can remember going to Disneyland as a teenager, and it's so interesting the difference now. People sitting on benches on their phones, you know, <laughs> looking down with head down and everything, and I thought, well, what were they doing? I, when, when, back when I was in high school and they were sitting in those benches, it's not like they were sleeping. Yeah, it would have actually been interacting with people. Yes, and you know, say, oh, look at that thing over there. Look at that thing. So it's just the the difference is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, just like I said, I think we're just missing so much, you know. Um, you know, I think I saw this meme on uh, Facebook, you know, there was a, a cartoon of somebody drowning or getting attacked by a shark, and everybody's got their cell phones out taking the video, and nobody's <laughs> like trying to rescue yeah. the person, you know. But we're so, I mean, it's unfortunately. You know, it's the world we live in. There's, there's some wonderful things that come along with the technology that we have, but I just think we're losing a lot in the uh, human interaction that we uh, I
2: would have ad- I would have added the person being attacked by a shark had a camera trying to take a selfie. Um, I know, right? <laughs> trying to take a selfie of being attacked.
1: Seven kids, I, I, Dr. David. That's a lot of kids.
2: You, yeah, you have all yeah. gray
1: hair? You have all gray hair now.
2: No, my I have a I sometimes grow a goatee and half of my goatee <laughs> is gray and the other half is actually brown. So I, I'm getting there. I'm getting to have gray hair. So my oldest is so it's one son and six daughters. So my oh oldest is,
1: yes, you definitely will have some gray. <laughs>
2: yeah, my but I, I live behind two gates. I live on, in a field behind two gates. So I feel with two dogs that okay. sounds really vicious. So okay. I feel Pretty well protected. From
1: so the oldest one, back. has she done the prom thing yet or, you know, she's old enough for that now? or?
2: So the oldest one is a boy. So it's oldest. one boy and six girls. And no, he's, he's not into prom stuff. He's more into cars and okay. uh, sleeping outside in a hammock. outdoor stuff he hasn't been distracted by young ladies yet
1: (laughs) okay we'll hold on to that as long as possible so before we get out of here dr david uh how do people connect with you if they want to um get uh, some counseling services for you for the relationships or the parenting
2: yeah so you can find me if you just search doc david d-o-c-d-a-v-i-d on facebook my my page will come up or davidsimonson.net that's uh with an e-n-s-i-m-o-n-s-e-n dot so davidsimonson.net. And then the book's on Amazon. I mean, it, you just put in When Parenting Backfires, and it, it'll pop up right there.
1: Okay, awesome. So Amazon for the book, and uh, we should be looking for When Marriage Backfires uh, sometime soon, I hope, right?
2: Yeah, probably within the next year or so.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are at the end of the hour. Dr. David, I've had a wonderful time with you today. Uh, My guest has been Dr. David Simonson. As he said, please visit his website, David Simonson, S-I-M-O-N-S-E-N dot net. David, thanks for hanging out with me today.
2: All right. Thanks so much, Lana.
1: That's all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed. and I'll see you all next week.